0: Welcome to episode 25 of Blue Jays Happier. We are back after a I wouldn't say an extended hiatus. We were back. We're back after a moderate hiatus. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning back in. And since we were gone, Stoughton, it seems that Canada's team, the Atlanta Braves, has won the World Series. Yeah, I heard about that. I heard about that. <laughs> It is uh it's an interesting discourse right now. A lot of people looking to heap praise on Alex Anthopoulos. That is nothing new. And as, as they should. As they should, you know, congratulations are in order. Um it I don't know, it's it's tough for me to get too invested in the idea of oh, they've got Soraka, they've got Freddie Freeman, they've got Alex Anthopoulos, therefore this is a team that we should be behind, especially in the context of all the Tomhawk chop stuff, which has yeah. not um slowed down in any way. And in fact, a former president came by just for some performative <laughs> racism. Yeah, A guy from New York, who's now like a swamp person in Florida, came by to a state that he <laughs> lost just to show that he was racist. Yeah. Um, and when that happens, it makes me feel less enthusiastic about the Braves. Also, just not a great team. Um, they They picked up some guys that really panned out. And I think there's a lesson to be learned about not giving up and you miss every shot you don't take. And you got to give Anthopolis credit for taking that shot. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing left me feeling a little bit empty. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah. I've been trying hard not to like antagonize the, uh, the, the gloating uh, Anthopolis stands because, you know, have your, have your moment, whatever. That's good. Great for him. You know, nobody ever disputed that he was good at his job. Um, I think the blue Jays are in a great place. I don't think we need to, worry about where the Jays are or pine for uh, for Alex and think oh he's some wizard who who uh did the impossible cuz like you say it was uh you know he he did what he had to do got the team in uh had guys sort of hit on the on their their peak performance at the absolute right time uh which is how you do it uh you know like the Dodgers are like fully optimized to win every year and uh and quite often don't as we as we saw uh so yeah that that you know I I have no you know no dislike for Alex uh, uh he was on my former podcast very graciously which which was which was weird but also very cool uh and uh yeah I'm also where you're at with the with the chop stuff I I find you know, like not to not to say that it's not bad but I also thought that like just the way that the broadcasts uh emphasized it and like would would uh just you. You don't have to show that. Also, like you know, if they want to have their little racism party there, uh, I don't know. You don't have to like. Yeah, you don't turn have to the cameras in. on. The <laughs> yeah, and that was that was almost that was almost as you know egregious to me as the chop itself. Not quite to that level, but uh, but yeah, it it, it did uh, it did not feel great. But also, the Astros winning wouldn't have felt great. The Dodgers, the the, the Trevor Bauer signing team winning wouldn't have been great the red sox you know they're man they're almost they're almost the best option out of of them which is crazy because they're fucking red sox and they can fuck right off and also had their own little uh situation with uh with the apple watch and whatever um a lot of tainted teams out there, except except the one I support, which is the only good one.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's there's only one good one, 29,000. Yeah, yeah, I would have been I would have been okay with someone out of the Central, like the White Sox. If they had come through, I think I would have been generally okay with that. Maybe there's something horrific that I'm oh, missing wow. there. Apologies. Tony La Yeah, Tony La, Russa, but yeah, Tony La Russa, yeah, I mean, there's landmines everywhere you go. It turns uh, out, yeah. The Brewers, I think, would have been cool. Again, I don't know, Josh Hader landmine, if you want to go there. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I found myself less excited about this World Series than most of them. However, I do find myself excited and I try not to get up too much for prospect stuff that can get out of hand, but it's Ooh. hard not to get excited about Gabriel Moreno right now, which has to be sort of the biggest story in Blue Jays land. This guy, uh, I know. I mean, I think we expected this him to go walks, to yeah. this guy's sick. <laughs> uh, no, we expected him to go to the Arizona Fall League and kill it. Uh, Fifty-five plate appearances, you know, three seventy-two, four seventy-two, six zero-five slash line, ten walks against six strikeouts. Um, you know, he, he very briefly tested uh, AAA and didn't really do much, but he was incredible at AA. Uh, we wanted to see him bounce back from that injury. It's safe to say that he did. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, we're, I think it's going to get people talking about that timeline heading into the season because mm-hmm. my presumption was that heading into the season, the general consensus and understanding would be that this guy's going to start at AAA and like, let's let him ramp up the free Josh Toley situation um, <laughs> for a little bit, especially because the Blue Jays have solid options in place. And I don't know if this is going to change any of that. We're talking about, you know, 50-plus played appearances at a level where the competition can kind of be up and down. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll tell you that sort of the, the chorus and the pounding of the drums from Moreno is going to increase in a way that maybe the Blue Jays didn't predict coming into the 2022 season.
1: Yeah, probably. Though, I mean... Uh... I don't know, I think it is of season presser, uh the Zoom call that Atkins did. He you know, was asked about catching depth and and he did sort of suggest it might be too soon for Moreno the start of next year to be with the team, but didn't like didn't say no to that either. And uh we'll as we'll, as, as as we'll all hear later on, uh, I believe one of your over unders uh was that he would show up in twenty twenty one, which which if he hadn't broken his thumb, uh Could have happened, and and like you're right about the varied competition in the AFL. Like that's always. I mean, I remember Keith Law for years banging that drum. Like don't don't scout the stat line anywhere, but especially like the Arizona Fall League is. uh, You know, there's some great prospects, and there's some guys working on stuff who just need. You know, they're not necessarily uh, big. It's not like your. It's not like he's doing this against big leaguers. He's doing it against, but against guys who who knows what level they'll be at next year, but. Uh, putting some good swings on the ball absolutely and you know throwing guys out and and just doing everything that he could possibly do also sort of in a vacuum a bit right i think of a lot of the other top prospects that were supposed to be there people thought were going to be there or were were slated to be there uh got hurt or got or pulled out or are not there uh and so he's like the 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 guy farthest up the 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 top prospect lists who is there and is looking exactly like a guy who should be right at the top of everybody's top prospect list.
0: Yeah, I mean he—he's about as exciting a position player prospect as they've had. I mean, obviously since Vladdy's not a, a period of time, but if you could sort of erase Vladdy and <laughs> yeah. from history, maybe even erase Bo too, that like weird cohort that rarely comes around. But if you kind of think back into the 2010s, into the 2000s you know, Travis Snyder was there, but there's not a lot of guys who are at this level.
1: Yeah. He's in that conversation. Absolutely. Which is crazy uh, and amazing. Like, uh, you know, he he might be the best catching prospect in the division and the Orioles have like the number one overall pick from 2019, uh, also a catcher. So yeah, it's, uh, it's very, very interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what they, you know, what they do because they obviously have that depth there. They have some luxury, uh, I can't remember if I was writing about this or just talking to somebody about it, but it's like, uh, uh, you know, if you if you keep him if you keep all three McGuire, Jansen, and Kirk uh, into the season, like does that does that uh, you know does that make you have to wait too long to bring Moreno up? Like because uh, it feels like he's not a guy that you need to wait until July at this point. Like I, I don't know if Opening Day is the thing, but you know if you if you go with the other three or two of them, obviously, uh, without, you know, trading one to sort of open up a spot for him and wait until, like, the deadline to move one, if that's what your play is. Uh, are you wasting bullets by not having Marino up up, up sooner? I mean, obviously injuries can happen, and, and you know, the Jays obviously are, are big believers in, in having that depth, but also, uh, you know, Kirk's an interesting trade piece. Uh, maybe not as, in, I, I think I saw Kevin Goldstein talking about, you know, not particularly enthralled with any of the other Jays catchers, anyway. So maybe the industry isn't as high on, on Alejandro Kirk as you know the as like Jays fans are, which I think would probably be understandable. Um, but still, there's not a lot of catching out there on the free agent market or just in general. So uh, the Jays are going to be looking for ways to get better, and that's perhaps one that I think a lot of people have identified early.
0: Yeah, I think in the off season they would probably be wise to trade one of their guys. Uh, mm-hmm. And by one of them, I mean uh, Jansen or Kirk, because in my view, Maguire has no value whatsoever. Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, but, and I, I'm not saying that they get a huge haul for them, but like you said, you're kind of, I know injuries can kind of strike and any sort of depth problem you think you have can go away very quickly but at the catching position it's not quite the same where you can put the guys in other places like there's just less flexibility there and a, and a problem of a pile up is actually a problem especially when you have a guy potentially as good as Moreno so I wouldn't be shocked if they did that in the offseason at some point even if it's not a massive massive return I, you know I know the we talked yeah, how much be, the yeah. Blue Jays love Danny Jansen I th- I got to think that there's there'd be some teams out there that feel, you know, his bat really came around, his defense is good. I'm not saying that teams are necessarily in love with him, but I bet you that there's a couple teams that would see him as a potential starter. Um, you know, Kirk is an interesting, divisive guy. But again, it only takes one or two teams that see him in the positive light, right? Like the whole industry doesn't have to think, oh, this guy's a stud. Um, just one or two teams have to sort of have that vision, and I could see that with Kirk or Jansen.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's I, I think that's right, and also other teams are going to see Moreno is there, and they you know they know that the Jays are not going to have these same four guys in a year. It, uh, that seems that seems unlikely because he's just that's that's his job. He's uh, he's he seems like he's that good just based on you know I you know again just looking at the swings and everything I, and and not trying not to scout the stat line but just all all that you read all the you know the scouting reports i think uh Josh Norris from uh Baseball America or maybe Baseball Prospectus i apologize i forget which one was like uh, some of the like the best reports he's ever seen on a guy uh I've been on Moreno and he's he's maybe you know the high guy at his outlet cuz obviously there's going to be uh, varied opinions and i somebody i i Posted that, and somebody in my comments was like, "Has he been like? where Was he there when Vlad was around? Because <laughs> I can't believe that Moreno would be getting higher reports than that, or you know, Wanda Franco exists. Uh, but so maybe it's hyperbole. I don't want to put words in his mouth or anything, but uh, but that's what he tweeted, and uh, and and yeah, it seems uh, it seems like it's coming true, uh, and like you say, I think. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a huge return. I mean, I think that obviously you want to get the best return you possibly can. But even just thinking about the roster, like Moreno in AAA and Kirk and Jansen in the big leagues versus Jansen and Moreno in the big leagues, and you turn Kirk into a reliever, even uh, like a good one, obviously. But like that would be that would be a better use of resources, I guess.
0: Yeah, it'd be the type of thing that maybe could make a one-game difference over the course of a 162-game season, which is the sort of thing that I'm sure we'll be saying quasi-snarkily about a variety of different uh, transactions over the course of this off-season. Turns Co- out, it turns out it matters a lot. A yeah. couple of sort of small Blue Jays bullet points. I don't know if we have to dig too deep into them. The Stephen Matz qualifying offer discussion has been sort of floating around. For lack of anything better to talk about. For lack of anything better to talk about. <laughs> my belief is that, in theory, like that amount of money Steven Matz could return, but that's kind of the top end of his value. would be buying sort of the height of what he could conceivably do. There's a lot of pitching out there. The Blue Jays love flexibility. It's just those all the factors coming together. It's really hard to see a situation where they could or should make that offer.
1: Yeah, I don't think they can do it. Uh, I mean... It's just too much risk. You can't pay Stephen Matz eighteen million dollars. I don't think. I don't think the market is there for him, and I don't think the.
0: I don't think it should be. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I like. I was looking. Great at season, Law's, to be fair, uh, better than some people 100%. realize. Like Keith Law, and I, I like. There's you know, there's predictions and whatever out there. Uh, Keith, the other day, I was reading his top fifty free agents thing, and I think he said like, I don't know, average annual value of nine to ten million for three years is probably where he'd go with Matt's, and it's like yeah that seems about right and i think i've mentioned in a piece this week john becker had him maybe a little bit higher average annual, annual value uh but it still ain't 18 million and uh d- just the, the 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 bounty that is the potential draft pick is just not good enough for the risk of tying up that much of your payroll into steven Matz, who deserves you know deserves a, a guaranteed rotation spot somewhere obviously a, a pretty good big league contract had a great year uh they, they like matzy but uh but yeah i don't
0: think you can offer him the qualifying offer
1: unless as i've said every time i've mentioned it uh unless you know he's not going to take it but i don't think that's how those things work
0: yeah i think he'd be foolish uh not to take it recall that marcus stroman didn't take one last season i know that's a very different picture and very different situation or did take it last season mm-hmm, yes um very different pitcher, very Ryu different, one as well, I different situation. But again, that just gives you a sense of the quality of pitcher who is willing to take that, and Matt is below that quality of pitcher. Yep. Um, other bullet points: um, You know what we missed while we were away? There's the Marcus Simeon, Scott Boris thing. People want to make something of that. He's got new representation. Um, Getting the guy who gets guys a lot of money when you're in a position to get a lot of money seems like a smart business decision on his part. Totally supportive of that. Boris is obnoxious. Boris has a lot of analogies that don't make shit for sense. (laughs) But he gets people money and Simeon wants money and that's all fair. And in a post-Ryu world, I just don't think the Blue Jays-Boris storyline is worth anything.
1: Yeah, I I agree, and I don't know, like, what, uh, does anybody think, like, if like that you're going to get a better deal if Simeon had a different agent? Like, he's just, he's going to get paid, it's, you know, it doesn't really matter who's getting the 10% or whatever, um, but I, I, you know, you're right, I get it, because it does, he is obnoxious, and he is also a sort of a, you know, famously, uh, like, uh, uh, like a, like uh, a, doesn't necessarily push guys into being hired guns, but just definitely like chases the the biggest dollar, which is maybe interesting because you know so many people and such of the story about Simeon's pre-agency has been like, oh, he really wants to play shortstop. He really wants to be on the West Coast. I hear that like every time his name comes up, it's like, oh, you know, the Giants, you know, have a a lot of money now with uh, Buster Posey retiring. Uh Maybe that's a fit, but also they already have a shortstop. But, you know, people are really sort of hung up on the Bay Area thing and maybe that's a signal that uh that Simeon is is less so than than we've been led to believe because, you know, I don't think Boris is Boris is not a guy who's like, I'm going to negotiate with two teams in your preferred state. Uh it's about taking as much out of the market as possible and good for him, he should.
0: Yeah, Simeon does feel like a bit of a Giants guy. Um, but that's uh, yeah. that's based on nothing and uh very nebulous and he, yeah, he'll probably end up I chase, would, I chasing would love that to money. See
1: it. I would like, that's uh that's just a, you know that's just an inoffensive setting for, for a guy I want to cheer for. Yeah. Uh, absolutely
0: <laughs> yeah. Great ballpark, uh going up against the evil-ish Dodgers, et cetera. Et cetera. Um yeah, before we get to Ben, I think that that is about it. We could talk about the CBA and the off-season game pushback. Uh I'd rather got, avoid doing time, that. Man. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. that there's going to be plenty of time to talk about that. I'm sure that that will be a focus of a lot of stuff we talk about in the future. So on this episode we have some other real content. So uh <laughs> let's we'll we'll leave you with that. And we're going to bring on Ben. We're going to talk about the over-unders we did earlier in the season, or not earlier in the season, during the season in June, about a third of the way through. Uh, Some of our predictions, our abilities to tell the future. Spoiler alert, not great. So uh, let's hear from (laughs) Ben Nicholson-Smith now. We are joined by Ben Nicholson Smith, MLB editor at sportsnet.ca. Our longtime listeners who were there since more or less the beginning will recall that we brought Ben on and we did a various uh, we did make various predictions about the future, which um, is rarely advisable, uh, especially if you hold yourself to account, which is what we're going to do today. We're going to circle back on some of our predictions, mostly in the form of over unders, and see how well we did. Uh, I don't know if I want to give the game away, but the reality is not great. Um, <laughs> if we could tell the future effectively, I don't think this is the business we would be in. I think we would be uh, on Wall Street and or Bay Street uh, making ludicrous amount of money, which none of us are. So bear that in mind, but uh, we're going to take a look at some of these over-unders.
2: It should be fun. And it's always it's so humbling to be reminded of just how wrong we were in so many different directions. But it <laughs> happens like every time I make predictions and I do, you know, as, as both of you guys do as well. I try to hold myself to account, like even in my I write a bold predictions thing every year at Sportsnet and I always have the previous years, um, you know, results in there. And man, it's it is a reminder that, uh, yeah, this game is just so hard to predict. This game, anything,
0: you know, the course yes. of human society. Uh, there's not a lot of yeah. things that are easy to predict. Uh, so we had, we had a couple of different categories. One of our categories was Vladi. To be fair, I'm not proud of the predictions. I will say that I am a little bit proud of some of the lines that I set. They ended up being pretty close to reality. So the over-under I set for Vladdy's home runs was 44. Wow. He ended the season with 48. Uh both Ben and I had the under and Stoughton, you get the first victory lap for what? the over. You I took, the over I took the over on 44 runs. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bold, to be honest. Um that would have the- made no sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Ben and I were trying to build in a little bit of regression, I guess, for Vladdy. And he did have that rough patch, but the reality is for the vast majority of the season, he was, you know, if not the best hitter in baseball, damn near it. And he was consistent, and he didn't miss games, and he hit 48 home runs, which is pretty hard to believe still,
2: even looking back on it. I mean, that is a great prediction by Stoughton to take the over there. <laughs> that, that's pretty bold. I mean, I, I think, you know, going into the year, his career high was 15. So, I mean, you know, Nick, you, you said a good over under there, a very aggressive <laughs> one in hindsight. Like, I don't, I, I can't really fault you or me for taking the under on 44. I now was clear, I was clearly just trying to manifest it, I suppose. <laughs> successfully. To, for some context,
0: we did we did these over unders in June, so we were a third uh, of the way through the season. Okay, that's a good. Reminder. Uh, I well, think. Yeah, that's. A I believe at I the time that. he had something <laughs> like twenty home runs, right. so that's why the over under was. I think it was based on the most e- most aggressive uh, projection for him. But even yeah. still, like you say, Ben, we'd never seen anything like it. He still had that ground ball tendency a little bit that worried you somewhat. And that's just a lot of home runs, to be honest. 44 home runs is
2: a lot. And he cleared it by a pretty decent margin. And there was the health question too. Like, you know, he ended up playing in almost every single game of the season but we couldn't have really known that and especially after like I keep thinking about the fact that like his offseason was so grueling last year where he was just working so hard trying to get into that shape lost a lot of weight and then to sustain that kind of effort level we saw him slow down a little bit in August but he really rebounded and and finished really strong. So the second uh,
0: over under for Vladdy, there was a whole Vladdy category because I think at the time You know, we were still in amazement of that, which is not to say we shouldn't still be in amazement of him. He's an incredible player and his breakout was outstanding. But I think that at that moment, that was kind of the story around the Blue Jays. And this over-under was war, Uh, Fangraph specifically. That's just my flavor. Everyone has their preference. Uh, And the over-under was set at 6.9. He had, I think, about 3.5 at the time. And we all took the over all three of us and we were all three of us were wrong but the the final number was 6.7 so wow. the line was right on the money essentially mm-hmm. uh, i mean you you could have argued there wasn't much upside with the over i think we were kind of feeling that Vladdy wave cresting and we were riding that those good feelings about his breakout but i don't feel too bad about being wrong about this
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, I think that he was having such a good season. He ended up so close to that number. And, you know, you think about what a seven war player looks and feels like. And that's kind of the level that Vladdy got to is, you know, you're an MVP candidate at that point. You're one of the best players in baseball. And I think even if he didn't get to the seven war, he certainly put himself in that category of just being one of the elite players in baseball. And so in that sense, I think probably a fair call on all of our parts to take the over there.
0: The last one in the Vladi category uh, has not been resolved yet, but I'm going to take a victory lap for it in advance. (laughs) Um, It was MVP voting 2.5, meaning if you took the over, you thought he would be third or worse. And if you took the under, you thought he would be top two. Now, this has not occurred, but I feel confident that he is going to be top two. Maybe that's unfair. But I think that that's how it's going to go down. And I took the under and both of you took the over. I think that, you know, we all saw Otani at that point in the season. Um, We saw where that was going. So we baked all of that into our predictions. I think both of you guys sort of allowed for the opportunity of a Vladi injury and uh, also just someone else emerging in the race. And realistically, although Semyon was fantastic, no one else really emerged in the race as the season went on. It was kind of Otani and Vladdy all year long.
2: Wow, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting one. And I totally agree. I mean, we, we won't find out for another week and a half, two weeks what the MVP ranking is, but you gotta think Vladdy's second. I, I think it's almost a lock that he'll be second place there. So I think your your victory lap is definitely <laughs> well uh, well deserved there, Nick. It's a it's a good call. And I mean, you know, you look at it. With Otani at the time being the clear favorite, then you're basically saying, "Is Vlady going to maintain his position as the second best player in the American league?" and he did that so i mean it just it goes to show like what an incredible season this guy had from really from start to finish
1: it, that's this one is interesting to me because you know we did like it was just Vlad Otani for so long the whole summer, and I don't know if you like by the end simeon was was right there. he could just as easily. Get it. I think uh was a uh, did Correa have a great year as well. I think if you look at uh the baseball reference war, he also was like above Vladdy, I think, by the end or or all sort of really grouped together. So uh I think that the sort it felt like the the one two was already like decided by September. Uh and then when you kind of look at it at the end, maybe people will reassess a bit. But I, I still think yeah, it's gonna be Otani than Vlad.
0: Yeah, you could make that argument for a Correa or for a Semyon, But a lot of that difference is going to be on defensive value. And I just think that voters in general tend to lean big, flashy offensive numbers. And there's no doubt, you know, Vladdy threatened for a triple crown at times. Um, obviously, didn't finish there. But again, I'd be very surprised if I was wrong. If I was wrong, the total scoreboard is going to look pretty grim for me because this was the one that I got that <laughs> you guys didn't.
2: Yeah, I think uh, you got this one. I, I it's really hard sure, to imagine. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't vote on MVP or I didn't vote on anything this year. But um I, I just think voters would look at the forty-eight home runs and the narrative, and, and this might have actually been part of your reasoning, Nick, at the time, but like the narrative of this twenty two year old doing this, like it's it is pretty uh juicy. I, I think it's kinda hard to resist. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, my narrative argument because I listened back to it this morning before we recorded this podcast was about the idea that he could be the player to tip the Blue Jays into the playoffs because um, he was on the pl- the he was the player on that team Ouch. right on the edge. <laughs> uh, obviously, that didn't play out, but it very nearly played out. Uh, I still think Otani would win even if the Blue Jays had made the playoffs, but that's a whole different ballgame. So through three over unders. We were a collective two for nine. So when I started listening to it this morning, I was like, oh, man, we are going to eat a bunch of humble pie today. I will say to the viewer, it gets to the viewer, to the listener, it gets better. Uh, But this is this is the low point for us, especially for Ben, who is sporting a hard O for three out of of the (laughs) gate. Number four is is an incredible line by me. You know, I'm just not even going to bother being humble about it. Uh, the line was George Springer games, 78.5, and he played 78 on the day. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, come on. With the unpredictability of George Springer and the injuries in and out, I, I feel really good about that. <laughs> and there's uh, like
1: 10 or 15 of those he probably shouldn't have played, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, that <laughs> <easy>. <laughs> there's an argument for that. Yeah, that was part of our discussion, too, about how much DH time he would log and how Telez was on the way out, etc. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't get to you know reap the benefits cuz we all sat under on this and we were all very nearly right. Um mm. I liked our our logic was a lot about, you know, about injuries, about age, about the Blue Jays being inclined to rest guys and those DH at bats being open and I think all of that basically came to fruition. So now the, where
1: where was he in his recovery at that point? Was he back on the field yet?
0: Uh I think he was he had re and i think he had come back and now he was on his way back for the second time but wow. nearly back and um, so
2: the the line, where was the line set again
0: 78.5
2: and we all took the under we all took the under so we just barely got this one right
0: we barely got it right if we wow. got this wrong again our overall score would be uh, yeah, not ideal, but we we all we all got it. We all figured. I think at the time it was just over a hundred games left in the season, and he basically needed to play seventy-five or whatever it was, and we figured that he would do that. Just or he wouldn't quite do that, which is what
2: happened. And it is one of those things, like when you think about how much time he missed, right? Because that's basically half the season that he ended up playing it really is one of those things that would have nudged the team over the top because he was worth, like, I don't know, I don't have the war in front of me here, but, you know, he was worth a few war for that half season. So if he plays even 40 more games, you got to think they're in the playoffs. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And especially him at his best, right? Like if you look at his overall season-long numbers, those don't reflect how well he was playing when he was fully healthy. Like a lot of that time is him sort of forcing it, for lack of a better term, and that kind of brings down his overall numbers. But when he was on, and not, not just on, when he was healthy, he was uh, pretty incredible. I
1: I think his numbers are still pretty good anyway. Yeah. He's he's, he's
0: quite good, it turns out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My next over-under was by far my most controversial. Um, I got texts about this from people afterwards. Um, (laughs) That was Julian Merriweather over under 7.5 innings. Oh, wow. uh, Wow. (laughs) Which... you, yeah, you you two your lines th- are pretty good here, yeah. You two thought was a bit absurd, if uh to be <laughs> honest. Um, but you were all I took the under. You guys were ultimately right. He did pitch 13 innings, but my thought was that we were barely gonna see him again, or if we did, he would re-injure. And that's kind of how it played out. He did have setbacks for his oblique injury and he barely made it back, but he made it back in enough time to crest the hill that is 7.5 innings, which in retrospect (laughs) is actually a pretty stupid line because it doesn't reflect individual outs. Like 7.5 innings isn't a concept that exists. I guess if you'd pitched 7.2 innings, that would have been over and 7.1 would have been under. But anyway, poorly constructed on my part and wrong. Uh, At the same time, it uh, it was closer than maybe it should have been.
2: Man, I mean, you think about how good he looked at the beginning of the season oh, and, yeah. you know, like closing games out. He was he was their closer in the first couple of weeks and he looked like he belonged in that role. And then it just it just slid to the point that he he just wasn't healthy. He wasn't someone they could rely on. And and yeah, I mean, I think. You're you're probably going to win a lot of over-unders, probably going to win a lot of bets taking the under on Julian Merriweather innings. And I hate to say it because, I mean, he can be a really fun pitcher to watch, but it's just, it's been such a challenge for him to get on the field and stay on the field really throughout his professional career.
0: Yeah.
1: And also, I don't know, September didn't, didn't look quite like uh, April. No. Yeah.
2: yeah. Very different.
0: Well, Ben, on the point of betting the under with Mayweather, you said at the time if we had to bet his career innings, you'd have to bet under a hundred, oh, and that right. might—that's probably still valid, even yes. though he he racked up this heavy workload of thirteen this year, uh, which is a decent push towards the hundred. But yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's really hard. I think a lot of people are kind of penciling him in as a useful bullpen piece for next year. And you just can't, you can't pencil him in for anything. It's the reality.
2: He's like, it's almost like when you sign, you know, and he he has a roster spot, obviously, but it's almost reminiscent of like those minor league signings that teams make in spring training, (laughs) you know, and you say, okay, let's see what he can do. And he shows up and and if someone's healthy, great. You find a 40 man spot for him and and you move ahead. But with Merriweather, you know, and I think they'll find ways to keep him on the 40 man, um, you know, especially with space coming up with so many free agents off the roster right now. Um, but, you know, it it is a little reminiscent of that where you you don't necessarily have a ton of confidence in, in what you're going to get.
0: Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, the 60 day. Uh, exactly. IL always <laughs> it comes has in a handy. place for him. Yeah. yeah. The next one is, this is a bit of a weird one, um, and it looks quite foolish in retrospect. I like a lot of the lines that I built here. This is the one that looks the stupidest. Um, this was Robbie Ray's walks per nine, and the over-under was 333 And the idea was essentially, if you felt like his early season work was a bit fluky and he was going to regress, it would be over. And if you're buying into it, it was going to be under. That was kind of the math on it, the way it, because at the time it was in the twos. And I'm like, well, if it goes up to anything around four, he'll get over this. So it was a bit of a convoluted idea. The reality is at the end of the season, he was at 2.47. So it was way under this under because he never regressed in any way. Uh, and we all hit that. We all believed in Robbie Ray, um, at least from a strike throwing perspective. And we were all rewarded for that. I
1: assume that if you had asked it like three weeks earlier, we might have come up with different answers. But, yeah. uh, I don't know when the belief in Ray really clicked in, but uh, I guess it was there by, by June or whenever we did this.
2: You know, I'm just bringing up his his baseball reference page because I'm kind of following along here as you read the, these, Nick. And I, I am just seeing here, he led the American League in innings this year, which is just remarkable, um, you know, as well as ERA and strikeouts. Like, what a season he had. And I guess, you know, the 2.47 that he had this year, um, incredible season. Obviously, he's going to get paid for it as he should. I wonder, like, if we were to move ahead into 2022, you got to think the walk rate's going up a little bit. You know, is 3.3 maybe a fair over-under for next year for Robbie Ray? Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you probably still take that under because I think there's there's something that's clicked with the way. It's interesting you mentioned innings because at the time, Ben, one of the reasons you took this under is you felt like his innings load, and I mean, I guess I'm just absolutely sewering you here uh, with a detail (laughs) that I didn't really need to bring up. But I promise you, Ben, the moment after I sewer you, I will sewer myself far worse. So the reason, one of the reasons you took this under is because you felt like his innings load was going to come down, which meant that the first part of his season was going to be disproportionately relevant to his end of season stats. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of silly. What's sillier is what I said which was I could envision a scenario where Robbie Ray ends up as a bulk guy by the end of the season, um, which was based on the ascent of Manoa and the return of Nate Pearson, uh, which, uh, yeah, that is ludicrous. Uh, and at the, t- at the time, it was a bit of a hot take. Um, and uh, it was just, uh, yeah, in-
2: insanity as it happened. So even within this prediction where we're technically right, both of us were actually very wrong about the way that Robbie Ray would get there.
0: Yeah, I think Stoughton was more just uh, yeah, on the ball uh, in believing I, in it. And we were just kind of <laughs> just, wriggling around. Just being
1: optimistic, really. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and somehow, other than not making the playoffs, the the team did quite well this year. So uh, yeah. that's all going to feed into any success I had here, I'm sure.
0: Well, so the next one here is, is—is I think, the only one that Stoughton got wrong, but both of us got correct, Ben, which was Alec Manoa's ERA, which was set at 4.09. That number was sort of based on projections and brought down a little bit because I felt like we were all believers. Uh, he ended the season at 3.22, so this was not even close. Both you and I had the under, Stone had the over which was a bit of a surprise because the early days of our podcast was uh absurdly manoa heavy <laughs> and we were kind of pretty big manoa evangelists if not the biggest so I don't know what uh, prompted Stone to take the step back there but um yeah believing in manoa turns out is a is a good thing to do
1: you know you you got to pump
2: the brakes sometimes uh
1: because yeah we it was like every episode was manoa
2: for like a while there absolutely yeah Um, the whole month of May right that was like a huge storyline and it's it is that's when we started
0: too that first episode was the very end of April looking back at April so that was yeah that was what gave birth to this
2: podcast was the Manoa hype yeah and this would have been like when we recorded these over-unders this would have been right around the point that he's kind of emerging in the major leagues right he was
0: two starts in two at starts this time. He in. had oh, had wow. one
2: good he had had the one really good start the debut and then the
0: one questionable start the next time. So, yeah.
2: Happened. So we weren't working with a ton of information here and I mean I guess the you know at that point though you still would would have been able to tell that he has a great fastball and that he attacks hitters and I mean that really held up throughout the entire season. Um it was like an incredible rookie season. I don't I think probably a Rosarena wins rookie of the year but I mean out of all the rookies in the American League, if you were to kind of project them going forward, and Wander Franco, obviously, number one on that list. But mm-hmm. if you were to project the rookies num- going forward, like Manoa is one of the guys that you would draft first if you were doing a draft of what rookies you'd want on your team going forward.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there there's nothing he did that you could really complain about. He had individual outings that were difficult and the command was spotty at times, but... He blew away all expectations he possibly could have had for him uh and yeah yeah developed yeah,
1: and uh, just and a lot of those outings where he wasn't quite as best was able to pitch through it and and do okay as well, which was uh, uh it, it was a it's definitely a contrast because uh, with with say Nate Pearson who yeah you know has been the the more hyped guy and obviously uh yeah when things would go off the
0: rails for him it has not uh, it has not gone as well. So the final over-under was Marcus Semyon-War, which was at six. We said at six. He was at about uh, somewhere around three at the time. And we all picked under and we were all incorrect. And it's interesting because Semyon's a guy whose success was a little bit odd through a lot of the year. Like he didn't have those big quality of contact numbers, but he had those big home run totals. And he seemed to... I don't know, game the system might not be the right terminology, but he seemed to find a way to yank those not particularly impressive, not particularly long home runs down the left field line in a way you sort of figured was going to end, and it just never did. He just kept doing it all year long.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you would have thought that at a certain point, pitchers would realize that if he sees a fastball, he's going to turn on it and try to pull it and usually hit it over the wall. Um, but I guess, I mean, they, they obviously would have known that and he still kept doing it. So, I mean, I think this is one of the, one of the reasons when you look at that approach along with great defense, at second base, like he's going to be in so much demand this off season. And, you know, whether it's a team like the Jays, whether it's a team like the Mariners or the Giants or the Tigers or the Rangers, I think he's going to have so much interest and, you know, five-year deal, I think is very much on the table and, and at a high AAV.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right, and uh, it, it's weird, you know. The uh, I wrote about this like uh, several weeks ago, but you know, I uh, it would. I love Marcus Simeon. I love what he did this year. I would love to see him back with the Jays. But it is interesting how it, a lot of like the the peripherals, like the strikeout walk rate or whatever, uh, this year went right back to the levels where they were prior to his 2019. Uh, where he had a really high walk rate and and his strikeouts went way down. Uh, and the big difference, you know, between this year and his previous seasons was that all those balls went over the wall. And I'm like, that that's a that has given me pause a little bit on him. Not you know not that I wouldn't again welcome him being signed to a very long contract. And clearly, like when you hear the Jays, you know, Shapiro or, or Atkins or anybody talk about him, that, that you could hear the respect in their voices about you know what he is as a worker and a teammate and all that stuff that they uh love to laud uh but yeah it's interesting just because like as you say Nick like he doesn't he doesn't hit the ball particularly hard like i think i went through the the uh, the top home run guys or the guys who hit you know above 35 or something like that and you know his his ex, average, average exit velocity was among the lowest and and uh, it it uh, he's just it the the profile just doesn't doesn't sort of fit as a guy who's going to hit 40 bombs every year yeah um and then, uh, and I don't know what I don't know. I think somebody's going to pay him like he is that guy. Yeah, and uh, that's going to be uh, it's going to be great for them. And also, I <laughs> I don't know if it, in the like narrow thinking about it, in uh, you know from a, a GM's eyes kind of way, you're like, how oh, is that the appropriate value? I'm not sure.
0: Well, he's one of those guys that's going to get all the points in the world for the leadership clubhouse guy intangibles as well so i think that even if he doesn't maybe produce at the level his contract dictates he's gonna be a guy that people probably aren't gonna regret signing
2: yeah Uh, i think that's fair too yeah yeah agreed and and it's it's hard to see that his you know like his production will drop off for sure but i mean if he becomes like a 30, 30 to 35 homer you know 830 OPS really good defense gets you like four four and a half five war for the next three years and then two war per season after that like that's a really good player Um, he brings a lot to a team every day Um, good base runner doesn't make a lot of mistakes, yeah. Yeah. you know, like he's just, he's just a really good baseball. Except for the
0: one. I, Except I, I for the, the one. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. True. <laughs> uh,
2: that's so unfair, people who uh, hang that on
0: him, but it is what yeah. it is. Uh, so anyway, over-unders, at the end of the day, we were all four for eight, which means that you don't actually have to listen to us talk ever. You can just flip a coin if you, or get like a magic <laughs> eight ball or something. Uh, you'll get as much value. Um, but before we stop raking ourselves over the coal, coals here, the one other activity we did is we did a hot take I most believe is true, uh, and we did three of these. So I'm just going to just go run through these relatively quickly. The first one, the three options I gave were A, Boba Bichette is not a long-term shortstop, B, we'll see Gabriel Moreno in 2021, and C, Charlie Montoya limits this team's potential. And the way that one broke down is Stoughton took A, Boba Bichette is not a long-term shortstop, which... Swing and a miss, I think. Swing and a miss, I think, in terms of especially the way the Blue Jays see it. Uh, Definitely more defensible at the time. Uh, Ben, you took Will C, Gabriel Moreno in 2021, Mm, which is a swing and a miss. I took C, which is Charlie Monteau limits this team's potential. That is just like a very big talking point that we'll never have a full resolution on but i'll i'll take I, if
1: you asked if you asked twitter
0: uh you were correct yeah, I'll take the ambiguity over the clear loss right. I guess
2: yeah, not a clear win, but you didn't lose that one,
0: <laughs> yeah. Number two, Reese McGuire is a better player than Danny Jansen was. A none of these were all out there in particular. Um, B was Randall Grichuk's contract will end up being a steal. None of us fell for that (laughs) trap, uh, (laughs) luckily. Um, And C was Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is not a long-term starter for the Blue Jays. So I think we I don't think any of these are correct. Now, Uh, Ben, you took Reese McGuire over Danny Jansen. Oh, that's incredible. (laughs) <laughs> That's a tough one. I, even at the time, to be honest, I I didn't feel great about that one. The Gurriel Jr. is not a long term star for the Blue Jays. It depends how you massage those words. Like, there's a world in which they use him as a trade ship to kind of reallocate resources on the team. Um, it That one is still a little bit up in the air, but realistically he came on so strong at the end of the year and his contract is so good that it's hard to sit back on that take and feel good about it. Yeah. But it was what is most true. And I think that C is probably the most true of those, but it's not and, very true. Yeah. And so Nick, uh,
1: you and I both took that one? Yeah. Okay.
2: And I mean the, uh. the L Jr. one, like he certainly could be a long-term piece. Whether they trade him is another question, but he's hit well and, and, you know, he's obviously not a good defender, but he he hit well enough to justify being a long-term player. He's a good hitter. Yeah,
0: Yeah. absolutely. I mean, I've had my doubts about Gurriel Jr. in the past and he tends to find a way to smash those at the end of the day. Uh, The last one we did was... So the first one is Anthony Castro is the second best reliever in the Blue Jays bullpen. That is a moment in time, my friends. That is a moment in time. And it's also big time Nick Ashbourne bait, but I didn't actually take it. Um, The second one is Nate Pearson will contribute less than 0.5 war in 2021. And then the third is the Blue Jays will make a serious run at Max Scherzer at the trade deadline. So B was was literally accurate. Uh, yep. His war was zero. Stoughton and I both picked that one. Um, the C one, Blue Jays will make a serious run at Max Scherzer. Ben, you took that one. That wasn't accurate, but I will say that sort of the spirit of it was in a sense, you know, in terms of Barrios being a top flight starter that they invested a bunch of prospect capital and acquiring at the deadline. I can't give you like perfect marks, but um, I do think there's something there.
2: Yeah. I don't feel bad about that one. Um, Yeah. Like that's not like a huge whiff. And I'm sure, you know, they, as you guys know, they check on everyone. So, you know, but serious run is a different thing than that. And there's, we haven't been led to believe that there was a serious run, but getting Barrios, like they were obviously a big player at the deadline um, in the starting pitching market. So that ended up being somewhat, yeah, as you say, directionally true.
0: Which is, when again, when it comes to predicting the future, that is about as good as you could hope. Um, Literal accuracy is pretty hard to come by. It's funny how much Nate Pearson will contribute less than 0.5 war in 2021. Looking at it months later, it doesn't look like a hot take at all. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, of course that's (laughs) how it would play out. But at the time, I think it really was. I think at the time there was an expectation that Pearson was going to come back and give this team quality innings for some amount of time. Or at the very, very least, be a very good reliever. And obviously he flashed being a very good reliever at times, but not consistently, and didn't give them many innings. Um but it that that is uh it kind of goes to show how rough the Nate Pearson experience was in twenty twenty one, that we had relatively modest expectations and he still fell pretty short of them.
2: Yeah. I mean he's he's someone who, you know, you look at next year for Pearson and It's a huge year, right? Because like you could easily imagine he emerges as like Shane McClanahan, Luis Patino, like legit arm for the Jays, or you could imagine that he's kind of sputters again. And at that point, I mean, if you know, it's really hard to to put him in the category of important players in the team if if he does sputter in twenty two. Yeah, well,
1: well, Ben, I I I wrote about and I I listened to, of course, your. You talk with Atkins, and that, that was one thing that jumped out at me is where he was like, whether he, whether he's in the majors or a triple-A, and I'm just like, whoa, yeah. triple-A for Pearson again. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, it could it, that could actually happen, absolutely.
0: I mean, if that happens, it probably speaks to them acquiring some pretty decent starting pitching, um, which I guess is a well, good sign they, if you're yes. a Blue Jays fan. But <laughs> yeah, also, yeah, yeah, it's an assumption, yeah. I think, many of us yeah. have coming that they will get a good pitcher. Uh, Ben, I appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, reliving a very random moment in time with us. Like you said, I do think is important. I mean, important would be uh, a stretch. This is a Blue Jays podcast, but I do think that if you're going to have some credibility in the space, it is nice to revisit things that you've said in the past and hold yourself account to some degree. And uh, you know we all came out as pretty mediocre, but that's okay. It wasn't disastrous. It could have been a lot worse, I think. Well, uh, I'm I'm moderately happy with
2: these results. It's yeah, it's nothing in in any of our cases. I think to go four for eight when we all write about baseball, you know, <laughs> professionally, uh, it's nothing to be particularly proud of. But at the same time, I batting five hundred, yeah, here. come on, boys, we we nailed It's it.
0: It. not it's not embarrassing. I mean, it's not, it's not it's embarrassing. Not And you know we did
2: okay on the
0: hot takes at the end too.
2: True, which is a little redeeming. And you look at some of the like Jerry Krasnick when he was still writing for ESPN used to do these um, executive polls where the major league executives would make predictions. Oh yeah, and those guys would be wrong all the time. Like it would happen, they would they would miss on all sorts of, of predictions. So that's, granted, some some of the executives at the time, uh, right, right. But I mean, understandable. Yeah, it's it's just hard to predict. And I think honestly, if you were if we had given this to a member of the Jays coaching staff or a member of the Jays front office at the time, I don't think they would have been perfect either.
0: Better than us, I would guess, but probably not
2: perfect. It's tough to predict baseball. That's for sure
0: all right ben we appreciate uh you spending time with us this is your second appearance on the show which puts you in the all-time lead and i think gives you uh best friend of the show status for now although well that'll be up in the air
2: i'll hold on to it while i can always happy to join you guys Stoughton and nick and uh thanks for having me on
1: yeah thanks so much for being on with us man
0: And that was Ben Nicholson-Smith and us um, being approximately as good as, like I said, as good as a coin flip, as good as a Magic 8 ball. That's where we're at when it comes to baseball analysis. I hope that you guys have your eyes wide open about that going forward. I hope you will stick with the podcast nonetheless. Um, Yeah, we appreciate you guys listening in, subscribing, giving reviews, all the things that you do. Um, We appreciate we are doing it for you and we will get back to you next week.